Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Let's take our Bibles in hand and open the Word of God together to the Gospel of Luke. It's been quite a while since uh, we were in the Gospel of Luke. In fact, it was before Easter Sunday, last April. And you might remember, we closed chapter 13 with a note of judgment. Jesus was brokenhearted over the sinful, willful rebellion of his fellow countrymen. And so he said these words, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those that are sent to you. How many times I would have gathered your children as a hen does her brood, but you would not. Your house is left desolate. And so this morning we want to pick up in Luke chapter 14. Wow, what an indictment. Your house is left desolate. However, Jerusalem, which I think encompasses all of Israel, because Jerusalem was the capital city, um, did not come to such a hardened position spiritually in a vacuum. Israel was influenced primarily at that moment in time by a sect of religious leaders called the Pharisees. You've heard of the Pharisees. We tend to think of the Pharisees as all bad because in the New Testament, Jesus reserved his harshest criticisms and most pointed rebukes for them. But like many groups who go bad, their origins were noble. Uh, the origin of the Pharisee was, was born from a desire to have the nation regain its distinctiveness from the culture. The culture of that world was dominated by the Greek culture, which was known for its licentiousness and sexual immorality. And so the Pharisees wanted to bring the Israelites back into an Old Testament understanding of morality. So they had a high view of Scripture. They believed the Bible was true. They had a high view of God. They believed God was sovereign. And they were noted for their personal piety. They were people of prayer. They even tithed on everything they owned. Scripturally, they were inerrantist. In short, they would have made for ideal Baptists. <laughs> if for no other reason, they loved to eat together. <laughs> and such is the occasion in Luke chapter 14, 1 through 6. Let's read our text. It happened that when he went into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to eat bread, they were watching him closely. And there in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Jesus answered and spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent and he took hold of him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which one of you will have a son or an ox fall into a well and will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could make no reply to this. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. The title of the message today is Days That End In Why. And we want to attempt to answer the question today, when, it is, when is it the right time to do what is right? And so the first thing we see in verse 1 is the invitation. Jesus was obviously invited to a meal which was hosted, the scripture says, by an unnamed Pharisee. He is described as one who was prominent. He was a leader or a ruler of the Pharisees. Well, I said that the Pharisees loved to eat together, but it was not because they were foodies. They used hospitality as a means to proceed up the ladder of cultural status. 
And they used hospitality to promote their agendas. That's why Jesus said in juxtaposition to the Pharisees, when you give a banquet, go out to the highways and the hedges, to those who don't have anything to offer. So when they had a dinner party, they would invite the up and in, not the down and out, those whose friendship could benefit them in the long run. So the question is why, as they did on more than one occasion according to the New Testament, why would they invite Jesus? He was a poor son of a carpenter. Well, I think there's three possibilities. One, Jesus was just an interesting party guest, wasn't he? He knew the scriptures, they loved to debate the scriptures, and he had become somewhat of a celebrity among the common people. Another reason might be that, that some in the crowd of Pharisees had a genuine interest in the Bible. Not all Pharisees were equal. There were some who genuinely wanted to know the truth. Nicodemus, for example, in John 3. But probably the reason he was invited to this particular luncheon was they wanted to trap him and try to catch him in a sin. You remember back in chapter 11, Jesus had blasted them publicly for their hypocrisy and it had humiliated them. They, they were biding their time since that moment until they could exact their revenge. Luke eleven fifty four says they were laying wait for him, seeking to catch something out of his mouth that they could accuse him of. So in the context of the history of the relationship between Jesus and the Pharisees, it leads me to believe that this entire episode was a setup. Jesus was invited to a meal in the home of a prominent unnamed Pharisee under the pretense of hospitality, but the real reason was to try to catch him in a sin. So look at the last phrase of verse 1. It says, they were watching him closely. That is a very specific Greek phrase. It means they were surveilling him. They were spying him out to try to find something to impeach his character upon. Well, you might think I'm reading too much into one verse to come to that conclusion, but the clincher for me is in verse 2. Look at it. And there in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. This is the invalid. It seems too much of a coincidence that there was a man at the luncheon with an affliction that the Pharisees certainly would view as a result of sin placed right in Jesus' sight line. Now it says that he had a condition called the dropsy. Now that's an old ancient word. It simply means edema, the accumulation of fluid in the tissues of the body. Now edema is not necessarily a disease itself. It is a symptom for example, congestive heart failure is a form of edema. You can have edema in your peripherals, uh, your hands, your feet, your ankles, so forth. But when the major internal organs, such as the kidneys or the lungs or the heart, are in distress, the body responds by surrounding it with fluid. So, so the person who is ill can't eliminate the fluid fast enough so the body swells. And like many of their day, the Pharisees associated chronic illness with sin particularly this sin, the sin of sexual immorality. So this man would have been considered most days unclean, unfit to be in the company of the Pharisees. But on this particular day, they sit him right in front of Jesus at a luncheon. You remember, it was not just the Pharisees who had that idea of sin. Jesus' own disciples, one day they came to a man in need of healing and they asked Jesus the theological question, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born like this? And of course, Jesus said, neither. So here's the situation. Jesus is in a room full of Pharisees who are legalists. It is the Sabbath, the day of the week, that so much of their legalism centered around. And there's a man in front of Jesus in need of healing. But 
If he heals the man on the Sabbath, the Pharisees are going to accuse him of breaking the Sabbath law. If he ignores the man, they likely would have accused him of being cold and unloving to a man who was in need. And so they think they have Jesus trapped. They do not. He is, after all, God in the flesh. He knows their wicked hearts, knew their hearts better than they did. So he turns the tables. The prey becomes the predator. The defendant becomes the prosecutor. And he begins to interrogate the Pharisees. Look at his interrogation in verse 3. And Jesus answered and spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Now in most situations the Pharisees would have loved to answer theological questions. In fact the Bible says they, they love to have that position of authority and lord it over the people. And they like for people to come to them to answer their questions. But, so Jesus asked a very simple theological question. Is it legal or not to heal someone on Sabbath? Jesus famously said of the Pharisees that they occupy the chair of Moses. That is, they have placed themselves in the seat of the one to whom God entrusted the law. They, they viewed themselves as the world's leading experts. So when Jesus asked a very simple question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Seems surprising that they are curiously silent. Verse 4 says, but they kept silent. You remember folks, Jesus never asked a question because he didn't know the answer. He knew very well that the Pharisees' interpretation of the sabbatic laws were that a person was not allowed to seek medical attention unless without it they would die immediately. And so if you're bleeding to death you can seek out a doctor's help. But if not you have to wait to the next morning. Well, you likely know that, that chronic edema, swelling in the external tissues, is not immediately life-threatening most times, although the underlying causes, if left untreated, can lead to death. And so here's the dilemma. Jesus says, is it lawful or not to heal on the Sabbath? If the Pharisees said, no, it's unlawful, they risk Jesus agreeing with them. Okay, so I won't heal him. And then they would lose their opportunity to trap him because they wanted him to heal him so they could trap him. But if they said, yes, it is permitted to heal on the Sabbath and Jesus healed the man, they would have been giving approval to that which they were trying to trap Jesus for. And so they thought they had Jesus cornered, he had them cornered. So they said nothing. They kept silent. And then we come to the real issue at hand, which is their inconsistency. Now, men, again, I, I would say there are some things that are commendable about the Pharisees. Jesus commended the Pharisees at certain times. He told the people to do what the Pharisees tell you so far as it is right according to the law of Moses. He said they had a zeal for God. But their problem was hypocrisy. So this gets to the heart of Jesus' conflict with the Pharisees. The Greek word translated in the English Bible as hypocrisy means two-faced. Matthew 23, 13, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and He says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Remember, they had set themselves on the chair of Moses. They were the interpreters of the Old Testament. 
But they had missed the point of the law and they were keeping others from understanding the, the point of the law. See, the New Testament says the purpose of the law is to drive men in despair that they can't keep it to call upon the grace of God. The law was never meant to congratulate anyone. The law is a great mirror to our soul that shows us how far short we are of the glory of God. But the Pharisees saw the law as the means of justifying themselves and condemning those they felt were undesirable. Well, not only were the Pharisees misunderstanding God's word themselves, they were attempting to prevent others from receiving it. So what does Jesus do? He shows them that it is never the wrong time to do the right thing. You remember the question of the day is, when is the right time to do the right thing? Well, it's only on days ending in Y. In Hebrew culture, the Sabbath was Saturday, parts of Friday and into Saturday, and those two end in Y. And so the answer to Jesus' question, is it lawful or right to heal on the Sabbath, is obviously yes. It is always the right time to do the right thing. And so what does Jesus do? Look at verse 4. He took hold of him, that is the man with the dropsy, and he healed him and he sent him away. He took hold of him. Don't overlook that phrase. The Greek phrase for he took hold of him is very strong indeed. It means he embraced him. He held him close. He even squeezed him as if he was squeezing that excess fluid out of his body. Now this man was viewed by most in that room as, as unfit and unclean and especially sinful. So the fact that Jesus would embrace him broke a lot of cultural taboos. Well, it says that Jesus healed him. When Jesus heals, he heals instantly and he heals completely. You notice that Jesus didn't heal like the faith healers do? He doesn't pick out some vague ailment that cannot be proven one way or the other. Here's a guy who, by looking at him, was ill. And when Jesus was through with him, I take it he was back to normal. I take it not only was the fluid removed from his tissue, but the underlying cause. Because remember, the dropsy was a symptom of a, a deeper issue in his internal organs. And I think his internal organs were healed. The dropsy went away not to come back. And, and so what does Jesus do? It says after he embraced him, he healed him, he sent him away. What it says in the Greek is he said, you may go. Now that is a, a strong indicator that this man was part of the setup. He was being used as a pawn, a ploy, a prop if you will, in this great ruse being perpetuated by the Pharisees. Jesus knew that he didn't belong there. This man wasn't one of the Pharisees and he said, you can go on home to your family. Now with the man gone, Jesus now turns his attention to the Pharisees and for the next 19 verses he points out their hypocrisy. Well, we'll have to save most of those 19 verses for the next two Sundays. But, but let's look at verse 5, at least one thing he said. And he said to them, which one of you will have a son or an ox fall into a well and will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? Now think of the condition that Jesus has healed, edema, 
fluid. Many of you have ever been diagnosed with congestive heart failure. Your lungs and heart are surrounded with fluid and you feel like you're drowning in your own body. And so Jesus says, which one of you had a son, a child, or even a beast of burden, an ox that would fall in a well and could drown, right? Wouldn't immediately fetch him out, even if it was the Sabbath is the implication. Jesus is pointing out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Now, these people were not monsters. I've often said, anywhere I go in the world, there's one thing besides being sinful that all humans have in common. They love their children. And so, he used a very personal statement. In fact, some of your translations may say a donkey, but the best translations say a child. You get the image. You remember the baby here in Texas years ago that fell in the well and how people all over the country united in prayer and she was rescued. What a wonderful celebration that happened. But, but here it gets a little more personal. Which one of you would have a child? One of your own children fell in the well on the Sabbath. Would you say, well, when the sun comes up, We'll try to help them out of the well. No, of course, anyone who's not a, a monster would do everything they could to save the child. Well, the point is this. This man that Jesus had healed was someone's son, wasn't he? He was a child of God, made in the image of God, an image bearer. That's why we believe so strongly in life here at First Baptist Keller, all life. All human life is made in the image of God and has value. But, but he takes it a step beyond the child. He says, even if you had a beast of burden, an ox that fell in the ditch. Now, I don't think the Pharisees were known for their love for animals. I don't, I don't think they were giving to the SPCA all the time. They loved money. And if the possibility was that something that cost them some money, their property would be lost. They would do whatever they could to rescue it, even if it was the Sabbath. So you see the hypocrisy. They cared more about an animal, apparently, than they did about this man. That, that rings a little close to home in our own culture. A lot of people in our own culture that care more about their pets than they do their fellow man. And Jesus rebukes it. Well, what in the world could, could this have to say to us. And by the way, once again, they couldn't say anything. Verse 6, they could make no reply to this. Well, I think this says a lot to us today by, by application. First of all, I think it says it is very possible for a person to be a member of the prominent religious community in good standing. Because remember, the Pharisees were looked up to. These were people that you wanted your children to be like. It is possible to be a prominent member in a religious community and to also have a high view of God in Scripture. To believe every word of the Bible and believe that God is sovereign. Even to be a tither and beyond. To be, to be a person of prayer and even fast occasionally as these men did. It's possible to be all those things and have missed the point of all of it. That is to be morally upright and well thought of, but to ultimately reject God's Son. Because remember, that, that's what's at risk here. 
the New Testament says, by the law will no flesh be justified. That's what Jesus said to the common people. Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees. They didn't know anyone more righteous than the Pharisees. How could anyone's righteousness exceed the Pharisees? It can't. That's the point. And so you need a substitute. You need someone whose righteousness far exceeds the Pharisees. In fact, you need a redeemer. You need a savior. And that is the point. The Pharisees rejected the idea that they needed a savior. They rejected the idea that they needed forgiveness. They believed by the fact that they were culturally and genetically Jewish, that they were viewed as the best of the best, that certainly they were safe from the wrath of God. That's what the Apostle Paul thought, wasn't it, before he was saved? And describing himself, he said, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Paul was at the upper echelon even of the Pharisees legally. He said, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. He knew his genealogy, touching the law blameless. And yet when he came face to face with perfection, with true holiness in the person of the risen Christ, he was reduced to a heaving mass in a fetal position on a dusty road, struck blind by the holiness of God. He said, Lord, what would you have me do? Scripture says that man looks on outward appearance, but God judges the heart. The Pharisees were all about impression. They were all about projecting a persona. The way they dressed, the way they talked, how they ate, who they associated with, all of it was by design. And yet Jesus saw right through it to their heart. Remember I said he sometimes complimented them. He says they have a zeal for God, but they deny the power thereof. They don't understand what it's all about. And so in answer to the question, when is it the right time to do the right thing? Only on days ending in Y. And friends, Sunday ends in Y. Today's Sunday. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. There may be someone, some ones here today who as far as the rest of us know you've got it all together. You're very religious. Come to church often. You tithe. You say eloquent prayers when called upon in your Sunday school class. And yet in your heart of hearts what you're depending upon is your own righteousness your own church membership, your, your own zeal. And I would invite you today to learn the lesson of the Pharisees, to, to give up on religion. Religion never saved anybody. To give up on trying to be a moral person. Even if you are more moral than anyone you know, you fall short of the glory of God, according to Romans 3.23. Give up on appearances. God is omniscient. He knows not only how many hair are on your head, He knows every thought in your brain, every sin you've ever committed. Give up on appearances and, and repent. This was the message that Jesus brought. Repent. Humble yourself before God. Confess your sins. Submit to His Lordship and be saved. This is the gospel. 
Paul says that simple message of salvation by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone to the Greek culture that they operated in was foolishness, nonsense. And he says to the Jews it was a stumbling block. Particularly the Jewish leaders like the Pharisees. They knew what the law said. They knew that Jesus fulfilled every minute detail of the Messianic promises of the Old Testament. But they were willfully, sinfully unwilling to bow their knee to someone they viewed as culturally inferior to them. What about you? Do you admire Jesus from afar? Do you think he would make an interesting dinner guest? Or do you recognize him for who he claimed to be? The eternal Son of God, very God of God, the one who died on the cross for the sins of the world. If you have not done so, my prayer, my plea with you is call upon the name of the Lord and be saved today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. And it is clear in these six verses that you hate hypocrisy, religious or otherwise. You, you hate the putting on of airs. You hate deceitfulness of all kinds. Father, perhaps the worst form of deceitfulness is self-deceit, where we convince ourselves that we are right with you when we're not. Father, we know the only way to be right with you is through humble repentance of sin. There's none righteous, not even one, not even the Pharisees. And Lord, these were the best of the best, morally speaking. But unless our righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, unless we're perfect, we can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And Lord, that's the point. We can't be perfect. The law was meant to be a mirror to show us our shortcomings so that we would flee to Jesus and run to the cross and plead for mercy. So Father, I thank you for many hundreds in this room who have done that. They've recognized by your spirit, they've been convicted of their own personal sin and guilt and they've called out to you for forgiveness based on the shed blood of Jesus. Lord, if there's even one in this room today who's never done so, I pray that today, a day that ends in Y, Sunday, would be the day of their salvation. Father, we pray that many would bow their knee to the Lordship of Jesus. And we pray it in His name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.